Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're nearly concluding our series on the way to the Father through the Gospel of John. And conveniently, if you'll see what we did there, we arrive at Easter on... (laughs) We arrive at John chapter 20 uh, on Easter Sunday. You know... Throughout this series, we've been discovering how Jesus came fully God to become fully man for the express purpose of revealing the Father, revealing God the Father, revealing the heart of God, revealing the work of God, and revealing what God the Father is about to a people, humanity, who's been separated from him. So for me, there's always kind of been this... if I can be vulnerable and admit this, like always kind of a weirdness to Easter um, because we take a look as a church at the singular most amazing event in human history. And yet for many of us, and I would say myself included, if I'm honest, there can sometimes be this kind of over-familiarity with it, a little bit of nonchalance as we're like, yeah, man, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Where's the coffee? you know, approach to Easter. If I'm honest, I say that. And maybe if, you, if you've known Jesus for a long time, if you've celebrated Easter for a long time, maybe you have experienced a little bit of that as well. And if we're not careful, what that can do is tempt us, I believe, to one of two extremes. The one extreme is to just kind of be blasé about it, and it's like, well, what pastel colors can I dress my kids up in today, and we're going to go do this, and then let's, you know, hit up lunch, and, and we can be done with Easter and another one in the books for 2015. The other... The other temptation, I think, is to ask ourselves, like, how can we, how can we soup this up uh, and, and trick it out? That's what we used to say when I was in high school that you did to your car. Um, how, can we, how can we make this, like, really, really good this year? Like, he's extra risen or something like that, you know? Because, because what do you do? Because what do you do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What do you do? Nate said on Good Friday, he quoted C.S. Lewis, if you, if you were joining us for our Good Friday service, you know, where C.S. Lewis wrote, Jesus is either exactly who he said he is, or he's an abject madman, and you should run the other direction as fast as possible. What do we do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So, honestly, is take that feeling and then try to preach on Easter. <laughs> and I've just, my conviction from the Lord is to tell the simple, amazing climax of the story of Jesus that we've already been looking at. We've already been looking through John. How does Jesus reveal the Father? And this, as John writes, is the very next necessary, had to happen, did happen thing in the revelation of God the Father by his Son, Jesus Christ. He is risen indeed. So, we're going to celebrate like heaven Because our Lord is alive and resurrected from the dead and seated today in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. And if anything, if I get off track, one of you, please just stand up and say, James, would you just reduce it down to he is risen. He is risen. You have my permission to do that nicely. We're going to read all of John 20 today. We're going to read it all together, but I want to stay simple. I want to stay straightforward and good news for you. I want to stay short. Best Easter service ever. (laughs) So that we can get back and share in more worship together. 
more worship of our risen, glorious King. So we're going to move just a little quickly, but as you're turning to John 20, I want to just kind of do something that we've done several times as we've been going through the Gospel of John, and that is to just remind ourselves of what we know. Before we shoot forward, let's just remind ourselves where we are, because we only do this Sunday by Sunday, so just in case, let's just catch ourselves up a little bit. As we enter into John 20, it has been a harrowing few days for Jesus' disciples. It's been a harrowing few days. It's been Passover. Jesus has given them all sorts of commands and promises. He's also been arrested and tried and crucified, and now he's dead in a tomb. It's been a little bit of a three days. Now, Jesus has always maintained certain things about himself and God the Father, one of which is that he, has, he was sent by God the Father because, we know, as it says in John 3, because God loves the world. And how much does he love the world? He loves the world enough to send his son so that whoever believes in his son should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus has always maintained that. He's also always maintained that he and the Father are one. He and the Father are one. And that he's the only way to God. He's the only way to God. See, the gospel is is the most inclusive thing ever. It's also the most exclusive thing ever. It's inclusive in that God so loved the whole world. Yes, even those people that you're thinking about. The exclusivity of it is that Jesus says, I am the gate. To the, to the Father. I'm the gateway. It only goes through me. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That is the exclusive way to know God. The most inclusive and the most exclusive thing altogether is the gospel. So Jesus has always maintained that, and he's always maintained something else that's been a little disconcerting to the disciples, and that is he's returning to the Father. It's kind of all fun and games when Jesus is around putting the religious leaders in their place and doing miracles and revealing the Father. And now he's like, I'm going to leave. He's always maintained that. But the good news is Jesus has also always maintained certain things about himself and those who believe in him. One is that Jesus is going away to the Father, but he's not just going away to leave us hanging. He's going away to prepare a place for us. And he says, you can trust me. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you that it is. And while we can't be with Jesus now, those who believe in him have life now and have it to the fullest. That's the point of Jesus giving them life. As we see in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's not a starts in heaven type of life. It's a starts right now type of life. We also know that Jesus has always maintained that he's the good shepherd of his people. His sheep know his voice, and he calls them by name. And in addition, in, in addition excuse me, to Jesus returning to the Father, he's maintained that his people, he has a mission for them. And that simply reduces to love God and love one another. And that will be the fruit of being Jesus' disciples, as we see in John 13. And then Jesus finally promises the Holy Spirit to be his presence on earth. He actually says, it's better that I go to the Father so that I can send the Spirit and be with you to continue to reveal truth to the world, making it possible for my followers, Jesus says, to remain in me as he commands them to in John 15, even after he goes back to the Father. These are things that Jesus has always maintained, and they're things that don't change now. 
right? And now circumstantially for, for the disciples, in, in, in chapter 18 and 19, as Nate uh, taught us on, on Friday evening, Jesus has gone to the cross in full revelation of and obedience to the Father. He has given up his life, he is dead, and he is in the tomb. He's taken the penalty of sin owed by a sinful and separated humanity from God, and he has paid that price for our ultimate availability to knowing God, and that is the essence of salvation. For restoration of relationship between that holy, infinite God and us. For salvation. It's good news. But circumstantially speaking, Jesus is still in the tomb. And, and everything about who Jesus said he was, was mocked at the cross. Everything about it was. Powerful, king, capable, God, you're dead. Mocked at the cross. And Jesus took on the brunt force of the one greatest weapon that all of earth or hell could wield, and that is death. It's the greatest weapon. It's the final answer. And Jesus took the brunt of that. And in reality, we will see Jesus makes a mockery of that potent weapon. Mocked in death, I will make a mockery of that potent weapon. And Jesus will be revealed to be the king that he is. And he'll begin to show what kind of victory that kind of king wins. Does that make sense? The kind of king, not that... Not that most of his followers were looking forward to overthrow a political, a kind of king that will have a victory that would eventually fade or need to be transferred to somebody or something else. But the kind of victory that will remain for always. But he's still in the ground right now. So Easter is a simple celebration for us because we'll see that our God reveals his victory. The day has dawned. The day has dawned. So as we pick it up in John 20, let's remember that for the disciples and followers of Jesus, this is still a day in which Jesus is dead and gone. They're not, they're probably not, I would venture to say, thinking about the vast and wonderful theological implications that we just discussed. They just know Jesus is dead. He was unrecognizable on the cross, beaten past the point of recognition, and then taken down and put in a tomb. He's gone. On top of that, if there needs to be an on top of that, they're still in Jerusalem. It's still the aftermath of the Passover. It's still politically charged. The city is still swelled. It's still incredibly dangerous. And they still fear for their lives, and rightly so. They are locked, probably in the same room in which Jesus washed their feet and shared the meal with them. They're just missing their Lord. They're just missing him because he's in the ground. So let's just take this story and let's arrive at the majesty of Jesus' victory. Track with me if I go too fast. Whatever, you won't tell me if I go too fast. So just be like, just celebrate. Right? I'm kidding. Let's take it. Chapter 20, let's, let's read the first two verses. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. What's happening here? Let's take a quick grasp of what's going on. We know it's the first day of the week, which is Sunday. 
and it's morning, and it's still dark. And at, at this time, traditionally, it would have been between like 3 or 6 in the morning. Still dark. You guys are always up then, you know, doing your thing. So were they. It's between 3 and 6 in the morning. There were certain Passover restrictions that dictated when you could deal with a dead body. And when you could mourn that dead body. And you, not to do it in a way that made you ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And they're working around those to mourn Jesus. And who do we have here? First, we have Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is the one whom Jesus delivered of seven demons. There is a special radical devotion of this woman to Jesus, and rightfully so. He is her sweet Lord who has delivered her. And she, early in the morning, is at this tomb. We also see that she goes and tells Peter. And what do we know, a few things about Peter, that he's zealous. He's zealous for Jesus. He's also just fresh off a couple nights ago denying that he was even Jesus' disciple. Right? To to a servant girl and a few others. No, 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 no. So that Peter. And then we have the disciple who Jesus loved, and that's John. In, in Jewish writing, ancient Jewish writing, you, you never named yourself in, a, in an account that you were writing that you were in. So you found another way to delineate yourself, and it was often by saying the one who. And so whenever we see that in this passage, that's just talking about John. And then lastly, we know that Jesus is in this tomb. And this tomb is not just a regular tomb. It's actually a pretty um, wealthy, not ornate, but wealthy tomb. It belongs to this man, Joseph of Arimathea, who followed Jesus, as we know from John 19, who asked the authorities for Jesus' body and placed him in this tomb that had never been used before. The reason why I say I bring up that Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy, not because the tomb is ornate or anything like that, they don't really need a lot of, you know, accoutrement. You're dead. <laughs> but the thing about a wealthy tomb in that day is that it was better protected. It was stronger. It was tougher to get into. And it was, it was more effectively sealed. It would have things like sliding discs and grooves to hold the stone in uh, that, that, that would seal it better. It was just better protected. They could afford it more. It's that kind of tomb. But when Mary gets there, as we see, the stone is rolled away. Rolled away, and Jesus is not there. So let's pick it up in in John 20, uh, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By all accounts, John was much younger than Peter, so it makes a lot of sense that he gets there first. John, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And isn't that Peter? (laughs) Isn't that Peter? Yeah, Lord, don't wash my feet. No, Lord, I want to walk on the water. Lord, I'm cutting off this servant's ear. They're not going to. Peter goes right into the tomb. It's so Peter. Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And then listen to this the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So the cloth that would go around the, the, bur- the burial, the, the person's head, was separate from the linen that would go around their body. And what, what John's describing here is that this is not a disheveled tomb. It's not ripped. It's not to, it literally looks like it was holding something, and now it just isn't. It, just, it was wrapped around something, and then it's just not. So in verse 8, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 9, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. 
what's happening here? <laughs> what's happening? I was expecting more laughter so I could get a water break, but that's fine. I'll just... Perfect. That was, that was exactly what it What's happening is Jesus is not here. And not only is he not here, this is an empty, undisturbed tomb holding empty, undisturbed linens. And they don't get theologically right now that Jesus needed to rise from the dead, but they're starting to get the picture that he did. And then Peter and John go back to where they were staying. And I know that seems a little weird, but kind of what else could they do? Jesus isn't there. He's not like, hey. So they're kind of like, let's go back. Because their circumstances don't really change. It's still a dangerous and anxious time for them. But not Mary. Not Mary Magdalene. See, for Mary, there's, I think, just too much heartbreak going on. See, Jesus was so precious to her. She was so radically delivered by Jesus. She was so devoted to him. And she lost her Lord to a grisly, unjust, mocked death. And he's gone. And now, for the love of everything, with all the restrictions on how she can mourn him, he, she can't even mourn him at three in the morning. Doesn't your heart just break for her? She just can't. It's too much. They've taken our Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. I just can't take it anymore. So let's read about Mary. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I love that it's not they've taken Jesus, they've taken him. They've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. We don't know why. We don't know why she didn't realize, but he asked her, verse 15, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, he said to her, Mary. And she turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then the next verse doesn't say, and she clung to him and, and hugged him, but she might as well, because it says, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene has no paradigm for what has just happened. And you and I wouldn't either. <laughs> I mean, you t- it, it says something about the victory that Jesus won. I mean, think back to the kind of king some were wanting him to be. And think back of what the victory of that king would have looked like. Maybe sitting on, in Pilate's chair in his regal Middle Eastern courtroom? Is that the victory? Or maybe Jesus sitting in Caesar's palace in Rome? I mean, what's the victory? This victory 
blows everything else out the doors. Jesus is alive and has beaten death. It blows up the constrictions of our ideas of earthly kingdom and victory. Heaven's victory outlasts the parameters of human thinking. Jesus' victory was sure, even when it was earthly impossible. And it's greater and more complete than the best you and I could have ever thought up. He is risen. He beat death. And what I love, probably my favorite thing personally in all of chapter 20, is that in the midst of that victory, there is really not a wrong thing Jesus could have said about himself. There's really not something that he could have declared about himself that would have seemed too big or too haughty or too glorifying or too anything like that. And instead, what does he choose to do? He says, Mary. He just says her name. This is the moment. This is the moment that this woman is the first in recorded history to witness the full, complete, theologically fully put together, no more ifs, ands, or buts, buts gospel. It's, he's standing right in front of her. She's witnessing it. This is the first moment where the gospel is theologically complete. That Jesus was sent by the Father, he revealed the Father, he was obedient to death on a cross, took the penalty of sin and separation from God, he died to pay it, he's now risen, and as Nate said on Good Friday, the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus are open for business. This is that moment. It's okay to be excited. I'm really not yelling, I'm just, I'm excited. And in the majesty of that moment, Jesus doesn't hang a welcome sign, he just says, Mary, come on, because the good shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name, and they know his voice. And what can Mary, what can Mary do? What can she do? She she said, you know, I suddenly get the theological implications of all of this, and it's also, she just says, I can't imagine, there's no stage directions here, but I just can't imagine her just falling and clinging to Jesus because they had taken her Lord in every sense of the word and now he's beaten it. He's beaten it. Man, Mary, I'm inviting you. I know you. You know me. And then he says, hang on, (laughs) hang on, (laughs) easy, easy. Go and tell the others, because I am still returning to the Father. Go and tell the others. So, let's pick it up. Verse 19. See, I told you we'd read all of John 20, but we'll we'll go in a nice clip. On the evening of that first day, still Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, remember it's tense, still not a good situation, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You think? Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus continues to reveal himself. It's still Sunday, it's still an anxious, it's still that first day of the week, still an anxious time for the disciples, and suddenly, in the midst of this locked room, Jesus is among them. He's among them. And he says, again, 
again, what, what could he say wrong there? He could have said, I'm here. Check it out. Look at this. Peace be with you. You know, we have such a weak understanding of peace sometimes. I, I just, I'm, I, I sometimes reduce peace down to like some little bit of relief from stress or a little bit of like break in the action. Like, oh, I get some peace. Maybe all the kids are sleeping at once or something. Oh, I get some peace. Catch a Mad Men episode or something. This peace, this peace, this is the first time ever that this kind of peace, full, unbreakable, unquestionable, victorious peace can actually be really there. And Jesus says, peace be with you. I'm losing it today, sorry. (laughs) Drank too much water, it's coming out my eyes. It's not a weak understanding of peace. It's the greatest peace ever declared in history. And Jesus says, this peace be with you. I love that he does that first because then he does three simple things to show that the gospel is complete and you need to partake of it and you need to share it. In verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, now I am, sen- I am sending you. Jesus is still about the mission of the gospel. You see, in one sense, circumstantially, because he's risen, everything has changed. Everything has changed. There's not a single thing that's the same. He's victorious over death. But on the other sense, in terms of the mission that he's calling his people to, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Preach the gospel. They will know you're my disciples by your love. Nothing's changed. None of that's invalidated or tweaked. (laughs) Well, guys, I wasn't expecting to rise from the dead. Now that I have, I just have a couple of uh, uh, amendments to... uh, No, nothing's changed. The mission is still the same. In verse 22, he says, And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You know, before Pentecost and the Spirit was poured out, Jesus is giving the Holy Spirit. That's not to downplay Pentecost. It's just to say, it's the gift, it's the promised gift of Jesus. And through the Spirit, he will be with them even as he returns to the Father. And he's keeping his promise to equip them for the campaign, as Nate put it. I'm basically quoting Nate the entire day. So if you have any questions about what I'm preaching, just talk to Nate. To equip them for the campaign. For what? To share the gospel. Partake in it. Share it. It's complete. It's arrived. It's open for business. And then there's this funny verse in verse 23. And I know it trips me up sometimes. It says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I'm sorry, what? Jesus is, what? Let's remember what he's saying. Let's remember who has the power (laughs) to forgive sin. It's only Jesus. And let's remember what he's saying. Preach the gospel. And as you share the gospel. If people respond in repentance, their sins are forgiven in accordance with their belief with the gospel and they have salvation. If they reject, they're not walking in forgiveness of sins. That's simply what Jesus is saying. This is the mission and it hasn't changed. And it hasn't changed. It's the outworking of the now completed gospel. The gospel that is 24 hours a day open. So let's Let's keep going and pick it up in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
Then he sa- but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Don't be too hard on him. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he says again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I love that it doesn't say Thomas actually did it. We don't know. But we do know that whether he did or not, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas gets a bad rap a little bit, sometimes rightfully so. He's, he's the only accounts of him really that we have to draw on his personality, you know, are when he's doubting. Hence his nickname, Doubting Thomas, right? Very good. But he's a disciple, I think, with whom we can most identify. I think he's one of the ones with whom we can most identify. And Jesus' response to Thomas is clear and direct and inviting. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas's response is swift and uncompromising. My Lord and my God. Translation, I believe. I believe. And then Jesus does something in verse 29 that I really love. He takes a moment actually to celebrate you and me. You didn't know Jesus was doing that here, did you? Jesus takes a moment to celebrate you. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've placed your faith in him. Jesus says to Thomas, you know, because you've seen me, you have believed. And that's great. He doesn't discount that. Then Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, we've talked about this before in our our study of John. Jesus is transitioning his followers from sight to faith. They've always had Jesus. And yes, their faith is in him, and it's no less of a faith, but it's a faith that's been accompanied by sight. And what Jesus has been saying is, this, I'm, I'm returning to the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, back to the Father. And my spirit will be with you, and you will walk only by faith. You see, you and I, in 2015, we've never physically had sight of Jesus. We've only had faith. And Jesus knows that and celebrates that in this moment. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you know what? I cannot wait. Every inch of my being yearns for the day when my faith is sight. I just, I love that Jesus takes a moment to celebrate that. So, here we are. The greatest thing, (laughs) the greatest thing has happened. And what's the point? What's the point? I'll tell you, John, I love, I love reading John's gospel. I love reading all the gospels. But John just has a way of like knowing what you're thinking. <laughs> and he's like, I need, I need to give these people the point. So in verse 30, let's pick it up there. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. That makes a lot of sense. But verse 31, these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here is the point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's the point. And the point is that is open for business. The gospel is soaring. Jesus is risen. And John lays it out and says, I've written this for one reason alone, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. For the first time that you may believe and that you may go on believing. There's an evangelistic heart and a discipling heart to John writing this. You see, if if you if you've never if you've never actively and consciously done that, you've never placed your faith or your belief in Jesus. I I think that just like with Mary, Jesus is revealing himself to you and, and just saying your name. I know you. I'm inviting you. And just like with Thomas, I think Jesus is saying, Stop doubting and believe. Nothing's changed, although everything's changed. <laughs> The time for eternal and abundant life is now and always. That's the invitation of Jesus. And just at the risk of losing any fluff or awkwardness, I just want to say, if there's anyone right now who has never placed faith in Jesus, not to be awkward, but I just, I just want to pray with you. Would you be willing to raise your hand? And I would just pray with you right now to come into relationship with Jesus the risen Jesus, who says your name, who says stop doubting and believe, because I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Is there anybody? I'll just give a few seconds. Well, we all know Jesus and know him as Lord. (laughs) And just like with the other disciples, Jesus says, I'm with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I've equipped you. I know you. I'm with you. Share. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Remember, worship, obey. Because I'm with you. I want to invite Nate and the, uh, the band to come back up. Because in a minute, we're going to celebrate communion together. You know, if we, if, we, if we know Jesus and we've placed our, our faith in him, we get to celebrate the victory without, without caveat. We get to give as best we can our earthly heart and earthly celebration to the one who holds the victory that blows the parameters off of anything earth could have defined it as. Does that make sense? And we get, then... We can just give our worship to the risen king. Worship him like he's the risen king. Not blasé. Not pastel Easter. Yes, I know I'm wearing blue. Not just pastel blasé. Not held back. Not reserved. But like Thomas. My Lord and my God. I believe. Happy Easter, you know. Happy Easter. Because our God has revealed his victory. And the day has dawned. The day has dawned. The full gospel is open.